No pressure. How do you feel? I'm going to be honest, starting out a podcast like this is a little intimidating. Oh my um, gosh. So I've got to come up with something clever to say, so... Well, you've got literally one chance, so don't mess it up. All right, well... 30 seconds in. It's Christmas time, and we're starting a podcast. My, I'm not going to lie, that wasn't your... <laughs> Two strikes. Okay. Strike three. <clears throat> We're on movie, not Uno, not Dose, but... Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. Trace. Trace. Right. You could do that. Good evening, everybody, or morning, wherever you're at. And we are... I hated that. I'm done. Strike three out. I'm out. (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything. Okay, let's just say welcome to the pod. One, two, three. Welcome Welcome to to the the pod. We have gathered, we are in Maya's home this evening to discuss part one of Return of the King. Can you guys believe that we're on the last one? I think it's always hard for me to get to the third movie because you start out so ambitious, you want to go on a journey, the journey is so fun. And then when we hit the third movie, you're like, oh crap, the journey is going to be coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And that's always hard for me because it's like I've been so entertained and I'm not mm-hmm. ready to see it all wrap mm-hmm. up. But I am, but I'm not. And it's conflicting. It's like reading a book and then like you get to, you like really enjoy the book. And then exactly. Yeah. Of it, and you're like, <laughs> one page a night. Like, yeah. I have to <laughs> Jenny, I totally relate. I'm yeah. sad to see it all end, but... It's such a satisfying end, and obviously we're not at the end quite yet because we just watched part one, but what's what's interesting, what's interesting about these movies is they have been a journey, and this final one is when Peter Jackson and everyone, they, this is when they win the Oscars. Like, they win an Oscar in every single category. Mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings won one, and yeah. this movie just kind of blows your mind cinematically in the Mm -hmm. time that it was made so it's just an amazing movie and i'm happy to summarize it for us just to set us up for yeah where we're going and where we're headed so i want to give credit where credit is due this is from a man on the internet called pompey v so if you're out there i'm quoting you I just don't want to get a nasty email and somebody say, like, how dare you? I wrote that 20 years ago. So, (laughs) the Fellowship divides to conquer as Frodo and Sam, with the help and hindrance of Gollum, continue their way to Mount Doom. Gandalf and Pippin ride to Minas Tirith to help defend Gondor, while Merry remains with Eowyn and the other Rohan fighters. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli seek aid from those that live in the Cursed Mountains. All of these battles have one goal in mind. Distract the Eye of Sauron and buy Frodo a little bit more time to destroy the One Ring. I think that says a lot without giving too much away as to what will happen in part two. But yeah, yeah, that's basically what we saw. There's a lot of different plots going on. But we finally learn in the opening scene, Smeagol and Gollum's backstory. It's so hard to watch. Yeah, it's just gross. Like, you know, just to see... Yeah. Not not only like um what am I trying to say? 
like the the mental transformation, but the physical transformation of him becoming Gollum, um, and like what that does to the way that he talks and walks and like treats mm-hmm. other people, and um, just how. I, I think in the beginning of the movie, someone mentioned while we were watching it, like, you can tell how weak he was because mm. it af- the ring affected him so quickly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. L- within minutes, he killed his best friend over that thing. What is that dependent on? I really think it's just the person. Because I think watching this time around, I made a comparison between Smeagol and Pippin. Mm. Because Whoa. Pippin... Was, is so weak when it comes to that influence. We can get there later. Mm-hmm. and But then you have characters like Sam and Frodo who have just more gumption when it comes to withstanding the ring. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I think it's really just within the person. But I'd be curious to see what Tolkien thought. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any knowledge about that, Maya? I think that Tolkien experienced the breaking of character during World War One. I. I think he just saw that weakness of character and it built instilled inside of him who Gollum could be and and how he was once a good man and he just lived his life happy in the Shire but the moment that evil started entering his life it just took over mm-hmm. and um Bilbo and Sa- or Sam and Frodo and Bilbo too I guess um experienced the ring but it was a slow overtaking so there's just these different characters the race of man failed at destroying the ring the elves failed at destroying the ring couldn't do it um so what's left the dwarves couldn't do it we just know and so the hobbits the hobbits are the unexpected ones and Smeagol is just weak in character I think it's great that Peter Jackson put that in the film even as hard as it is to watch because you get so much more of that backstory of Smeagol you see where Gollum comes from and who he was before it makes it just a little bit more impactful yeah, because he looked so normal in the beginning, or at least, like, yeah. normal-ish. Yeah. And then, like, later, like, now you see him while he's on this journey with them, and he's yeah. just so... doesn't even look human. Right. Why do you guys think Peter Jackson made the choice, then, to show that exposition in the third and final movie? I think to... Um, not only to give Gollum a backstory and maybe give you some like empathy or some sort of insight into that character um but also to show just how deadly and how mm-hmm. um impactful the ring is right yeah like how much change it can bring. I don't feel any certain way like one way or the other but I wonder like if it would have been an advantage to like show like how powerful like this is what you're dealing with in movie one so then in movie two and three, you're understanding what the ring is capable of because I think with Smeagol, you really understand what kind of a transformation it can do to somebody. It really flipped him body and soul. And so it's just like, I understand probably why, like the prologue was just so sound to how Middle Earth changed. I look at it more through the lens of Frodo is having a harder and harder time, and he's beginning to turn, and you slowly see that over the whole movie. And so I look at it through the lens of that perspective of Smeagol and what happened to him is fresh in your mind, and you're seeing that start to happen to Frodo. Mm. And it kind of, like, that placement makes it really real. And actually, they talk about how they had to reorder the timeline, Jenny, of 
what happened in Tolkien's story and saga, if you actually line up the, the events, mm-hmm. Peter mm-hmm. Jackson put the events more in order than the books are. So mm. Tolkien's intention. More like chronological. Chronological. Interesting, yeah. Movie magic. Isn't Smeagol the one that has had the ring for the longest, too? Yes. Yes, definitely. So he's like the longest history. Like 500 years, right? Yeah. I thought it was so interesting. The first time I noticed, you know, when he's like making those sounds in his throat, it almost sounds like he's saying, call him. All of a sudden, it sounds like Gollum. Like, I, that's probably reading way too in, way too much into it, but it sounded like he was saying, call him, and then huh. it like changed into Gollum, but... Interesting. Anyway, in the present, we see Frodo and Sam resting in an alcove, and Sam awakes to see that Frodo hasn't slept at all. The days are growing darker, and the eye is growing closer. And then Gollum pops in and says, we gotta keep going, so that's just the movie reminding us, you know, where this plot is taking us. And then away in the west, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Gandalf, Theoden, Eomer ride through the forest of Fangorn to Isengard, where they meet up with Merry and Pippin, smoking a blunt. Or whatever they're smoking. <laughs> Something good. Something fun. They find Treebeard at the tower in the center of Isengard where Saruman has been trapped. And this is a huge extended edition scene. I mean, this scene goes on for about seven minutes. And it's completely cut for the theatrical version. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, why Why do you like it so much? I like it because you see more of Merry and Pippin's character coming out mm-hmm. and their interactions that you miss from the Shire. So it's so dark and bleak during this time, but Merry and Pippin's friendship is so true in that moment, and I love yeah. seeing that. Well, and that's the first time, you made a good point yesterday, the first time Merry and Pippin see and reunite with Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, mm-hmm. and they half believed that they were dead. Primarily the biggest scene that they cut is the scene with Saruman when he's up on the tower, and you learn so much. It's true. You learn that... Um, Grima? 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 You learned about Grima Wormtail. You know the guy who like yeah, possessed yeah, King Theoden. Like you learned that he was Rohirrin. Why did I not know that? No idea. I had no idea he was a good Rohirrin. Man. That's why he, he was given the authority he was. Uh, for some reason, I just was under the impression he was like from Isengard. From- but I was so touched by King Theoden's mercy towards him, saying like, "Turn away, you're Rohirrin." Like. You're a good man. Come down. Like, let's talk about this. Wasn't there something so sad about Legolas killing him, mm-hmm. but also kind of relieving? Like, it's, Well, yeah, why did so Legolas heal him? Because, because he was stabbing... He was stabbing Saruman. Didn't they want Saruman dead anyway, or did they want... Was I think Gandalf, Gandalf was trying to reason with him, like, come down, let's talk about this. He was trying to get information from I see. Saruman, so they wanted to keep him alive. And then Saruman said hurtful things to Grima, and he was like, you know what, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) And Saruman lands on a spike, and it's literally so horrible. Um, And I closed my eyes. So cringy. Closed my eyes, and then he, like, gets spun I watched that part. Yeah, I Melissa watched that part. (gasps) I watched two. We warned you. We said something really graphic is coming. I, I have a hard time watching, like, older characters die. In horrific ways. Oh, what a specific this is a nightmare for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Wow. Be bad though. Pippin sees Saruman's, it's called the Palantir Ooh, yeah. in the water. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like the seeing eye globe of Sauron mm-hmm. to Saruman. Um, he's totally entranced by it, and Gandalf quickly takes it away from him and hides it. But yeah, Pippin is just. He would have been. I'm not going to say that word, but totally 
screwed over if he tried taking the ring to Mordor. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, also something I've learned about the orb was... Um, Is it the round ball? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do we call it? It's called a palantir, but palantir. just the seeing eye globe. Seeing eye globe. The orb intentionally is deceitful. So when you see out of it and you see information, you won't get the full story. You'll see the truth, but the truth will always be deceitful. That makes a lot of so, sense on how Sar- Saruman turned to the bad side because he's seen only bits and pieces and he's probably just assuming that it's all going to go bad, mm-hmm. so I might as well join the bad side. Exactly. Right before that big scene... Um, it's we're not jumping ahead too much, but the group rides to Edoras, where back in Rohan, where King Theoden has prepared this big banquet to like celebrate their victory at Helm's Deep. Um, Eowyn like has this affectionate moment with Aragorn, which oh is gosh. really tender, Aww. and then King Theoden tells her, you know, I'm like happy for you. Aragorn is an honorable man, and he has like this moment where like. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he catches himself. He's about to say, he's like, we didn't survive because of the numbers that we had. Like, he was about to say we survived because of Aragorn. He phrased it in a way where they were celebrating the the battle battle of Helm's Deep and mm-hmm. winning. And he said, and she had mentioned something to him, like, you're a great king. And then he mentioned, well, we didn't win because of me, we won because of... Oh, how did he phrase it? I don't know. He nodded to the fact that it was because of Aragorn. Theoden has these moments that are so prideful, and then he has these moments that are just like, oh, Ooh, yeah. you're such a man, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's just the race of men. I we know. all have pride, and then we all so have true. moments of mercy and but grace. But see it and in pride. this movie more than yeah. any of the others. But Theoden reacted so much better to his, the death of his son than the steward. Mm-hmm. Which we can talk about later. Legolas and Gimli have like a Get drunk. drinking contest, which is funny, but there's also a really, really tender moment with Gandalf and Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Um, True, I wrote that down. And, you know, Gandalf is saying, like, or I don't remember who initiates the conversation, but um, Aragorn says, like, Gandalf, trust in your heart what you feel is right. Like, what does your heart tell you? And Gandalf is like, that Frodo's alive. Like, I believe in my heart that he's still out there. Mm-hmm. What about this moment touched you guys? What about this moment was a good reset for, you know? I think it's humbling mission? to see the two, say what you say, leaders of the whole trilogy, Aragorn and Gandalf. I mean, they're kind of your steady guys. They're the, it's very yeah. humbling to see them doubt and question mm-hmm. and have a real vulnerable conversation with each other about man, we're just trying to do what we can and trying to leave these Mm -hmm. people well, but we don't even know if the most important thing, Sam and Frodo, Mm -hmm. is still going okay. And I don't know, I just appreciate those moments of realness that are sprinkled throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. There's one thing we skipped that I just wanted to mention is Eowyn's dream um, when she said that she saw this great wave overtaking the forest. Something we know about Tolkien is that he had that dream, when he was young, and it mm-hmm. tormented night after night. Which is funny, because at the dinner tonight, we were talking about recurring dreams we've had. Mm-hmm. So, this was one of Tolkien's. I didn't know that! Yeah, That's so that neat. Even in the commentaries, the appendices, they talk about the very real connections between our world and heaven that Return of the King acknowledges, and that you have to see that. Mm-hmm. So, Eowyn has that dream, but the, the- theatrical version gave it to Eowyn when it was actually Foromir who had that dream in the book. Foromir? Oh. <sighs> I had no 
idea, Maya. That's it's so fun to learn stuff that directly comes from Tolkien in these Mm -hmm. stories. I mean, obviously, all of it does, but that is very specific. This is an important scene, though, to like put a pin in because the eye or the seeing orb, whatever, tell shows Pippin the tree of Gondor on fire. Like, Melissa, did you catch that? Like, when we finally go to Minas Tirith and we see the tree of Gondor, how, like, that tree gets protected, like, 24-7? Minas Tirith is the name of that white city, and Gondor is, like, the race of the men that live there. Mm -hmm. Does that help? Oh, okay. Because it's basically two names. Minas Tirith is just the name of the city. Yeah. But it's, like, the Gondor Gondor nation. Okay. So, like, Mm -hmm. Aragorn should be the king of, like, Gondor. But Gandalf is like, what did you just see? And Pippin's like, I saw a tree on fire. And Gandalf is like, oh no. What What did you think of like Pippin being tempted by the orb? I wasn't expecting it, to be honest, because I I didn't get those vibes from him the past couple movies. That he's he such would. a doof. Yeah, I just thought he's like a fun, yeah. fun like friend that's around and he like does the honorable thing that what he can do, you know? Um, in every situation, and then, like, yeah, I just wasn't, I thought he yeah. would be, like, one of the stronger ones. Because um, he's a hobbit. Yeah, because he's a hobbit, and, like, he's just so, um. Carefree. Yeah, and so loyal, and so, just, mm-hmm. like, such a good, good person, in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was surprised. Just crazy. It's hard to watch people of good character being tempted by the enemy. Right. But you could tell that afterwards, like, he was just shaking up about it. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, yeah. like I, I'll never do it again. Like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of you pointed oh, out last like, night, and I guess I had made this connection, but never so verbally, that if Pippin didn't grab the ball and see into the future, then literally Sauron would have his sights set more on Sam and Frodo. That's so true. Mm-hmm. And so that is amazing. Does that make sense, Melissa? How? Yeah, yeah, it's almost because, a distraction. Yeah, they know that a hobbit or whatever has a ring or whatever, and so it's this perfect distraction. Mm-hmm. The orb dis- open... was deceitful yeah. to even Sauron. Yeah, 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 which is crazy. You guys clear something up for me now. Sauron sends them to Minas Tirith because he sees Pippin in the eyeglass, and no. that's why... I think he wanted to go there. I think he was planning on going. Just because that's the main kingdom of Middle Earth. Mm. Right, but Gandalf asks Pippin to come with him because... Right. Now he thinks that the ring... So, like, let's keep it all in the same place. And Gandalf rushes there because he's trying to get the steward on board to prepare for battle. Yeah. Yeah. We have a really awesome scene with Arwen. We remember, Melissa, it's okay, we watched Two Towers a bit ago. Arwen is moving to the Grey Havens with her elven kind. And she's stopped in the middle of the road, and she has a vision of her son. And she's so compelled and so moved by this that she turns around and goes back to Rivendell, speaks with her father, Elrond, and says, you've forsaken the life of my son. Like, there's a life. There's not just death for me with Aragorn. There's life. There's an heir to the throne. She tells her father that as it's foretold, the time to reforge the sword has come. Like, she says it's time for Aragorn to take his place as king. And the Narso, which is the sort of, and um, the sword of his birthright, um, is the true heir of Isildur, is, like, needs to be reforged. And so it's this really amazing scene where the sword gets reformed, and we were all just, like, 
yes, so hyped by this moment. Cinematically, it's interesting that they started it out with the vision of her son. She And that the fact that the vision of a son, a future generation, made her change her mind. Because she's immortal. So why would seeing the potential of a son be so dramatic to her? Well, I think it's... Uh, up to that point, she knew she loved him, but she didn't know it would actually work out. And so seeing a son was like, oh, this was actually going to happen. I was going to get to be with Aragorn. And she was ready to, ready to, you know, deny her mortality. Uh, Elrond has the gift of foresight. Yeah. And so Arwen didn't get as much of that, but she got a little bit. And she was able to see what was happening in the future. And it's the total opposite of this little mirror ball. Yeah. Because she's seeing the good things that are happening and how it kind of comes, it's going to come around. And Elrond is like, yeah, I saw sun. He's like, but I saw death. But I also saw death. Yeah, and she's like, point. but there's also life. Yeah. Mm. Oh, dude, I have goosebumps now. Like, wow. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for Middle Earth? Like, does that mean you should know at that moment in the movie that it's going to be okay? I think it gives it hope because it it just shows you that it's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of suffering and there's going to be a lot of hardship, Mm -hmm. but there's always going to be life. Yeah. Well, and I think the fact that that scene pairs with the sword of Isildur being rebuilt is also like, that's giving extreme hope for the movie because you know, if that sword's being rebuilt, then it's going to be taken up by the rival heir, which is Aragorn. And so for Elrond, the king of the elves to like, announce Aragorn as king, a man who's been denying it, you know, in some ways. Yeah, Yeah, he gives him a little tough love talk. He totally does, and he's keeping this sword from him in some ways for him to say, like, you're right, it's time. It it gives Arwen's character so much more purpose. She's not, like, this damsel in distress, like, I'm in need of a hero. She is very much so responsible for getting Elrond to the place that we need also Aragorn in the couple of scenes following. Well, it's just so interesting when Elrond comes and confronts Aragorn and shows him the sword. I mean, you can just see in Aragorn's face. I love the acting of it. It's like, you can see the the lack of confidence he has in himself. He's just like, I am a failure. The blood that is in my veins is Isildur's bane. Yeah. Like, uh, no, Isildur's bane is the, the yeah. ring. But he has that yeah. blood in him of failure. And so... I just it's so funny. I wrote this note down and I just said every good man needs a good woman backing him up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I felt like that's cheesy, but it's true. Honestly, it took Arwen believing in him and he doesn't even know that she's believing in him so much. She does all this background work before he even gets the sword and decides. I'm like just like, dang. And during that same time, yeah. Frodo and Sam are walking through the forest and they see that statue and Sam says oh look the king has got his crown again I know and I just that is happening at the same time Mm -hmm. as the sword is being forged and as Aragorn is about to go into the mountain it's funny when you sit down and think about these movies and you look at all the foreshadowing and the script and how it really all comes together even even secretly and you don't realize how well it's working I was listening to a podcast about the Lord of the Rings and it's these two women who have like never watched (laughs) the movies and they're watching them for the first time and I was so hurt like because they were being so critical of these movies 
and they were talking about Arwen as this damsel in distress. Absent-minded, fluffy female character that we didn't need. And I just could not disagree with that oh, more. Seriously. And I think this scene is absolutely responsible for that. There's nothing absent about Arwen from the plot. She's in it. She's fighting for it. And it took courage for her to turn around. Because she knew that that meant choosing death even still. She knew that that was what she was risking. But she went no matter what because she saw a son. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's so huge. Melissa, I want to hear your thoughts about this. Maybe yeah. we're totally geeking out, but... <laughs> no, I agree. I think there's nothing more beautiful and strong than a mother fighting for her children. I love that scene so freaking much. I do. Gandalf and Pippin arrive in Minas Tirith, and they meet the steward of Gondor, whose name is Denethor. And they approach him as he is continuing to mourn over Boromir, his son. Pippin is so moved by his grief that he swears loyalty to him in compensation for Boromir's sacrifice. And Denethor is completely caught up in his grief and has not taken any measures to fortify the city against the threat of Sauron that is on its way. I thought it was really interesting how when... um when Denethor um, found out that Boromir was dead, he reacted in hopelessness mm. and pride, which became this horrible, ugly, disgusting mixture. Um, but when Theoden found out his son died in the last movie and said no father should ever see their, they should outlive their own children, both of them didn't see who was in front of them. Mm. Like, Theoden didn't see his nephew um yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and but eventually, um, Eowyn is appreciated for who she is, while um, the steward couldn't get past that. So there's just a really interesting parallelism happening mm-hmm. of losing a son and reacting to that type of grief. Well, I think the steward of Gondor is under the impression that, the, I mean, he literally says, the reign of Gondor is mine. He's been so hopeful that a king would never return that Boromir's death signals to him that their his line will end when he dies. He doesn't find Faramir capable of stepping up to the throne. Boromir, he felt as though would be the rightful king of Gondor. So yes, he's grieving his son, but I think he's also just grieving the fact that his bloodline is not going to continue Which in is Gondor. Stupid, because Faramir is amazing. Oh, dude. Amazing. I mean, he could be my king any time. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm really excited for the next part, though, because there's some juicy scenes. In part two? Part two. We can't spoil it for Melissa. Yes. I just feel like Faramir proves himself time and time and time again, and his dad is such a jackass. Well, and he's so, like... Neglect? Not. I don't want to say neglected. But oh, just like he, I mean, yes, yeah. He, he's neglected <laughs> by his own father, and like just like almost hated in a way, or just shunned sure. for being just him, for yeah. being the younger child, yeah. just being the one that wasn't the favorite. It's tragic. Like, his dad's like, I wish that you were the one that died in a way, you know, and like he's just not so in a way. He said that. It's true. To his face. He said yes. Like, I wish that. And I don't know if he honestly wishes that, but, like, I think he's just so blinded by grief. He's, like, so neglected and just so um, hurt. It's like he's being, you know how Boromir died by, like, all the arrows being, like, 
plunged into his body and his oh, heart. Yeah. It's almost like Faramir is getting the same thing, but like verbally and emotionally by his father. Gosh. He's just constantly getting yeah, shot right. with arrows. Mm-hmm. Point. And yet he Maybe. still gets back oh up again. Oh my like, god. <laughs> that scene where Faramir stands up to his dad or the steward and was like and says, I would never bring that ring to Gondor, no matter how much you want it, because that's what destroyed my brother, and that's what would destroy the city. And Faramir is so brave for saying that, and he's so spot on. Like, yeah. who should be king now, huh? I know. Yeah. Next to Aragorn, I think he is just so... I just love him. He's just such a refreshing character in these movies, even though you feel bad for him literally the entire time. Frodo, Sam, and Gollum finally get to Minas Morgul. <sighs> Which is the headquarters of the Witch King, who's the leader of the Nazgul. Which I had never caught until last night. Sauron's using the Witch King of the Nazgul to be his living person. And so that's literally the Witch King's lair. They they say that, they use that word lair. And I never even knew that. I just thought it was another, one of Saruman's evil places. Yeah, he's like um, Sauron's pep... uh, Puppet? 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 Yeah. puppet. puppet. What, what vowel? Are you British? The puppet. The witch is the puppet. I think that's how you describe him. Watching too much BBC, Jenny. <laughs> I am too much so embarrassed. <laughs> Great British I literally was like at a loss for what that word was. <laughs> I just had never even noticed that before. No, it's not yeah, actually yeah. Sauron. He can only live in his little eyeball because right. he's kind of more of a spiritual. There's nothing too crazy that happens, but we do see this outpouring of this army that is leaving this um, lair, so to speak. The outpouring of the army is witnessed by Gandalf and Pippin as they are standing out on the balcony as well, as they see this flash of lightning shoot up in the opening of the doors, like Gandalf's moment where he's like, it's now it's here. Like, it has started. And he realizes... Gondor needs aid. Consider those beacons. Alec. Now all of China knows you are here. Oh, God. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. Wait, but we have to talk about these beacons being lit. <coughs> like Gandalf was like, nothing is happening here. So I will ha- send my hobbit puppet up to these beacons puppet. and light them puppet. myself. Well, it's really redeeming for Pippin, which I've yes. always enjoyed in that plot line was it was like, Pippin. I'm giving you a real shot here. Yeah. You gave your allegiance you to the You light king. those beacons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You light them good. And in Pippin's face, you can just tell he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. I gotta do this. The signaling of these beacons really means that, like, the race of men is, like, coming together officially. This is the battle for Middle-earth. And the panorama of the camera, you know, around the scenery of each beacon being lit across this mountain range... Just goes to show how far that allegiance stretched. Aragorn finally rushes into the Rohirian banquet and says, The beacons are lit. Gondor calls for aid. Like, it's time to go. That is bone chilling. It is so epic. It's perfect. I literally could cry. I'm so happy this happened. I'm also stalling because I lost my place. <laughs> um, I was like, get... the inflections in your voice is telling me something. <laughs> we were talking about, like, what would it be like to be a, a beacon lighter? Like, if that was... That's like, what I was going to say! Yeah, like, and you're just, like, waiting, like, for, like, years. Your whole life for that? To, like, light these beacons, and then some <laughs> hobbit does your job for you, and you're like, ah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the other beacon lighters are just on the top of a mountain, like, 
cold and they're like, Literally. my existence. <laughs> you know, I think in my head, too, the nations of Gondor and Rohan are so much bigger than what you see in the films because that's literally all they got. Yeah. You know what I mean? To fight this war. That's sad. In Two Towers, it's like the race of men fighting alongside elves. Like, it's elves and men. Mm-hmm. And there's something so epic about the Return of the King being men. There's no elves involved other than Legolas. It's like, this is a man's job now. Yeah. Like, Can we also appreciate how Legolas is the only elf in that war? Dude, like, he Legolas. doesn't even need to be there. He just does. He Dude. just stays. He needed more screen time, George Whoa. Lucas. I mean... What Peter Jackson. I said George Lucas and I feel like a adorable person. <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> Wait, but no. Peter Jackson, if you're listening, why didn't you give Legolas more screen time? Like, True. Come on. He's in, like, every scene. He just doesn't talk. But also Gimli. Like, Gimli's the only dwarf, and Legolas is the only elf. Where are the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain? I know. They're just going to sit there until someone... We're the Iron Hills. Yeah, I know. I know. But I think it's Tolkien trying to say that, like, it's the race of men now. Oh. Like, it's the time of man. That's which- true kind of excludes any other race. Okay, but interesting In- fact. Sorry, Maya, go ahead. I was just going to say it's Isildur's. Il- 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 oh, did you just have a stroke? <laughs> so I learned that Tolkien, the book, or this the third installment was supposed to be called The Battle of the One Ring. Yeah. And Tolkien, or his publisher, said, you're going to name it The Return of the King, and then I'll publish it for you. And Tolkien was so upset no and way. against it. Because he's like, that's way too foreshadowing. Because, I mean, it says Return of the King. Like, that's true. Wonder and what's going to happen. Was so upset. But at that time when he's getting his books published, they weren't, like, taking off. It took, like, 50 years for these books to take off. I'm still shocked that Gimli and Legolas fight. It's like, they just, I'm still there. Well, and Eowyn does, mm. too. Yeah. I know, and talk about race of man. Like, I feel like there's just that nod towards the 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 woman who takes up her sword and she fights. And of course, it's amazing to see all the men fighting. But I, I personally am inspired by Eowyn's desire to go to war and the, Even like the OG Mulan. She is the OG Mulan. Oh my goodness! Wow. How much I'm also inspired by Mary's, Mary's journey. journey. Yeah. Mary wants to go to war. He wants to do something. He wants it's to find his you. honestly Mary's journey throughout the whole series is so incredible as well. Mm. That guy grows. He does. Emotionally, physically. <laughs> Cuz at first they were just kind of doofy. Yeah, total and then goofballs. Now he's like I will even if I die, like I will fight. I mean, it's low key because of Mary Isengard gets destroyed. Mhm. And uh yeah. And then when Mary and Pippin are separated, when Pippin goes such to an endearing scene. Minas Tirith with Gandalf, yeah, Mary has this really touching scene with Aragorn where he's like, I've never left this guy's side. And they're under the impression they won't see each other again. Mm-hmm. And I think it really gives each of them something to fight for very, very tangibly. It becomes so real to them. After that, he just kind of becomes this man ready to fight. He doesn't want to stay behind. And Eowyn and him share in that. They share that desire to serve. And, I mean, you could, we could spend so much time talking about that. But there is a lot of that context to both of those characters. I think my favorite line in the whole movie is, my lady. He goes, my lady. <laughs> <laughs> it was 
just like endearing and creepy at yeah. the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually got sad at the point where Theoden, Theoden, it basically accepts Mary into his army, and then when the time comes for them to actually go to the war, he's like, you're staying. That's sad. It is. I love that Eowyn goes anyways. Me, I'm still yeah, team Eowyn on her fighting this battle. And in the books, she's like this warrior queen who just comes out and like Maya, you've said demolishes. that in every single podcast we've ever recorded. So give, true. Every single time you go, in the books, she's a warrior queen. <laughs> and I like love it. But like every podcast, you remind us. <laughs> Which is so good. Okay. But, okay, can I get us back on track in terms of plot? Because we've Please only do. got, like, a couple of big things left, and then, you know, we kind of end off. But we have to talk about Faramir. He's defending um, Osgiliath. Horrible. I forgot about that. Against um, an army that is on its way to Minas Tirith. This is a fortress that kind of happens right before Minas Tirith. And um, the steward of Gondor has sent... Faramir to go, and Faramir and his team are not strong enough to withstand them, so he and a few of the surviving men retreat to Minas Tirith, completely consumed by Nazgul that are just flying around, knocking them out like bowling pins. It's actually really awful. It's one of the worst war scenes to watch, because they actually show the men falling down from the cliff, and oh. But Gandalf rides out to meet them and shines his staff of magic and gets all the Nazgul <laughs> to go away. Anyway, we cut back to Sam and Frodo. They're climbing up the very, very steep stairs, and they're struggling. Denethor um, is not happy with Faramir, Faramir's failed attempt to defend Osgiliath, and he tells him to take a ride to reclaim the city. Denethor is the steward. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and they basically ride out and are basically slaughtered. And it's told in a very tasteful way. Denethor's Ugh. eating a dinner and asks like, Pippin to sing. And Pippin's song is kind of haunting. the narration behind this haunting ride that Faramir takes with his. Like, that scene alone is the Oscar. Like, I that's know. it. Just through the edge of nice. Yeah. He has a good voice. Oh, yes. I know. He's a singer. I can see him as like a pub singer. It's so know? beautiful. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Drum roll. Elrond. Elrond. And he says, Aragorn, use this sword to go reclaim the dead men of Donero and use their allegiance to stop the attack that is inevitably going to wipe out every single man. It's kind of nice that Elrond gives a crap. He cares. You know, and does Aragorn know of that legend? Yeah, because... He's got to. Jenny and I looked at each other at the beginning of the movie. They mentioned something about the black sails. Exactly. Where where was that at the beginning? It, it was a prophecy at the beginning. I can't even remember. What's the prophecy? Gandalf says something to Aragorn. I, I yeah. don't even know. What's the prophecy? Enlighten me. It's that prophecy of... The rightful king of Gondor going back and taking up the kingdom of... The dead? The dead. I just appreciate how Elrond gives a crap about men, even though he's leaving and going to heaven, basically. And I think Elrond now has skin in the game. Like, he says Arwen's life 
is now tied to the fate of the ring. True. A few minutes later. Yeah, Gollum's like the the younger brother that's trying to sabotage his, his like, better influenced brother. Yeah. And like blaming it on the, like blaming it on him and like getting his parent to side with him. If you've ever had a little sister, Gollum hits home. Because hey, don't look at me like that, Erica. No, I'm just, just saying. I'm the youngest, and maybe you've done that. No, Absolutely. my sister has done this to me all the time. She'll be like, oh, and then look at me like, after my parents turn away. She's done this stuff to me, and I to her. Yeah, Gollum sets up Sam to make it look like he ate all the elven bread, and now that there's nothing left, and Sam tells Fro- Frodo tells Sam to go to go home. It's also yeah. got to feel so hopeless when you're Sam in that situation, saying go home. It's like, how? Where? Like, how how yeah. do I do that? I'm lost, literally. And he's just done nothing but try to love Frodo the best that he can. Right. And, like, to to help his friend, like, carry this burden in a way and mm-hmm. to be rejected mm-hmm. um, so harshly. It, but knowing that, like, it's not, it's not your friend, it's, like, it's the substance or it's the whatever that's controlling them. Yeah, well, Aragorn accepts Elrond's counsel and decides to go into the mountain. But before that, Eowyn comes to Aragorn and says, please don't go. Don't leave on the eve of battle. I love you. Uh, Well, she thinks he's just deserting them. Right. She doesn't know the... Prophecy. Yeah, the legend of that mountain. Right, right, right. But she also finds this as a convenient time to tell him I'm in love with you. And he goes, I cannot give you what you seek. And honestly, if I'm going to get rejected from a man that I love, that's the way I'd want it. I'd be like, I respect. Does kind of hurt, though, because he maybe let her on a little bit. Oh, come on. Yeah, okay. He so did. That extended edition scene where he, like, lays the blanket on her shoulder. Give me a break. Oh, the tension. The tension. <laughs> but it's so it's so funny because I think we see those actions and we think that they're actions of romance, but yeah. they, I think they're just actions of a guy who generally cares. I'm, just, I am wondering, though, if there was an element of him, devil's advocate, if there was an element of him that thought, okay, the love of my life has left. You're right, because the timing. Yes. Oh. And then, so so he's kind of like playing with this idea of her, and then Elrond comes and says, "She has stayed for you, but she's dying. But she's dying." And he, he goes, "Turns oh, it around." You are so right. I don't know. No, you're so. That's exactly it. Because, I mean, he was thinking she left forever mm-hmm. until that moment, literally in the tent where Elrond's there. She's dying. Yeah. Well, we're nearing the the end. We are legitimately nearing the end. They get to the tunnel, and the ghost army is basically just like, what are you doing here? Like, what authority do you have to tell us what to do? And Aragorn's ghost green guy says, no one has the right to speak to me the way that you are, except for the heir, Isildur's heir. And Aragorn says, funny you should say that. Take that sword. Cha-ching. Because... I am he, and he is me. Aye, aye. And chokes that mofo and says, listen to me. I will set you free if you do this for me. And he throws a hissy fit and says no, and they almost drown in a mountain of skulls. To be honest, I fell asleep. Um, <laughs> Melissa fell asleep. The confession is out. Melissa fell asleep. It was very late at night. Oh, my gosh. It was like 11 p.m. Yeah, I mean, this is how it ends. Yeah. 
And I don't want to hit stop because I know that that means we only have one more to go. Can you give me a back crack? Of course. Can you please crack my back too? (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was Lord of the Rings Return of the King Part 1. Goodbye. I'm not feeling super, super popalicious today. Please don't say that. Popalicious, popalicious, popalicious. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Up. Oh. I think that's all there is. There's got to be something. We can do one more down more. Oh. Muchas gracias, señorita. All right, Erica's going to have some good cry. Chen, so hard. <laughs> My, I mean, it's in the best way possible, but your carpet smells like dog. Okay, shh. <laughs> Ready, pop in. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Where? Much lower. Nice. Oh, wow. All right, Melissa. Blady. Melissa usually gets good pops, but knock on wood. Oh. Oh. I want to hear these cracks. Oh.